Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,384. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I guess where I am today, Antwerp, Belgium, with a very special guest by the name of Kelly Dietrich. Kelly, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am absolutely ready, Mark. We're going to have some fun. Before I introduce you and we get into a very unique change you made in life and the world of cars that you're chasing all over the world right now, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about Kelly Dietrich? Well, there's so much, but basically I I didn't get my driver's license until I was 30 years old. What? Okay. Did you live in (laughs) New York or something like that? One would think. I grew up in a family of 11. Wow. So I was sort of, and then the very middle child. So I was overlooked. And when it came to driving lessons, there was no one around to give them to me. Oh my gosh. And I was eight months pregnant when I got my license. So oh I my gosh. don't know if I qualified or if it was just a pity thing, but <laughs> I did, did get it at 30. Wow. Well, that is something. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, where I grew up. I was uh, the morning of my 16th birthday. I was the first guy in line at the DMV uh, to get my license. So I don't know how I could have gone that long, but I get it. Different world, different lives. But uh, wow. Well, you certainly are knee deep, neck deep, I should say, in the car world. So let me give you a little bit of a introduction here and we'll dive into this very unique world that you're living in. Kelly Dietrich is the exceptional car broker brokering historic competition cars worldwide. While most people are retiring at her age, so she says, I'm not going to call her old, Kelly got the harebrained idea to get on the road, and she's not regretted it for one single moment. Kelly's been traveling between the UK, Europe, and the USA for the last 14 months. She sold all her worldly belongings and left the US with one suitcase and a plan to travel from car destination to car destination, guided only by the desire to see more, talk more, and experience more through automotive events, both large and small. And if you're buying or selling anywhere in the world, you know what? Kelly will be there. Simply give her a call. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. They keep the petrol in the tanks here. Give them a little love, please, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collector's Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collector's Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. 
For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, and their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. So, Kelly, we're back. I'm fascinated by people like you that just lighten the load and hit the road and go out and do what they love to do. I've had many guests on the show that do that, but you're quite different. And I want to go back in time and start with somebody that has been a mutual friend of both of us. Sadly, we lost Dr. Fred Simeon in the past, but he became a mentor and a friend. Is that where this started for you, this passion for race cars? Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, I didn't um, meet Fred until 2015, and I have been doing this since 2007. So when I finally, I was living in Pittsburgh, and I was a single mom with three kids and decided that the business that I was in was not the right business for me. I owned another company, and so I let all the employees go and sat down on September 17, 2007, and said, I'm going to teach myself how to buy and sell cars for collectors. And that's that's all I knew. All I knew was that I love cars. I'm good at sales. And um, that was the extent of my experience for it. So I started to research, you know, the first car I was asked to find was a, uh, a Lancia Stora uh, from a client. And so I put together a little book and I said, oh, I'm going to see how long it takes me to find this car for this client. And it wasn't really a client. It was just someone I had met and said, hey, I really want this car. But when you're starting out, you're like, oh, there's my client. So off I went and I kept the book to to try to find out what was involved in the whole process. Pretty soon I threw the book away because I realized that in order to sell a car like a Lancia, you better really know what you're talking about. And that doesn't mean just about sales. That means you need to know the history of Lancia. You need to know where they stand historically. You need to know what that car is. Is it a fake? Does it have the right engine? Is it, you know, because now matching numbers means everything to everyone. But in the very beginning when we've been doing this, it didn't mean that much. But you need to know the car as much as, well, you need to know it inside and out before you could send or let a client even consider buying the car. And when I realized that, 
that set me back to a whole nother process, which said, now you've got to learn everything. So, but I love learning. So that wasn't a problem. So I dove into the Alfa Romeo 60, 1750, and I drove into, drove into all these pre-war. And I just, let's just say seven years of my life was really just researching, learning, and falling on my face. I never realized, because I never asked anyone else about how to do anything, that they, brokers were strictly stay in their areas pretty much. You know, a U.S. broker is a U.S. broker. But the company I had earlier was an international business, and I did business overseas all the time. So it was very natural for me to just start contacting people overseas, and that became a thing. As a matter of fact, the first car I ever sold was a Bugatti to France. It was a T35. And then after that, yeah, and after that, everything just kept going back and forth. But at the time, I had three small children and gone through a divorce, and I didn't have any other external income because you can't, this is not a hobby. If you talk to someone in this business, a collector, and it's a hobby to you, it's, it's going to come through. So it, it has to be, it has to be your soul. You know, I mean, you need to know what you're talking about. So that was what I did. It was um, seven years of learning and, and, uh, and then I started to really gain traction. And I left Pittsburgh for Philadelphia because I wanted to be close to the action, so to speak. And I would drive an hour and a half to volunteer at Fred's museum. And then finally, Fred called me one day and said, listen, come here, come to Philadelphia, help me make this museum a success. So I did, because that (laughs) was all I needed to hear. And I drove to uh, Philadelphia, found a place and started to build his research center with him. And I was a docent at the same time. So Fred was an amazing man in that there was just nothing he did not know. He could look at a car and tell you because of the headlights exactly where it raced and when it raced. And, you know, he just had a headlight picture. He was one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. And um, and I miss him pretty much every day. Yeah. But his knowledge of, of pre-war cars was just it's astounding. So I could talk Fred all day, but we won't. I would imagine. I was so grateful to have him as a guest. And 1936 Lancia Astura. I remember seeing one on the lawn at Pebble Beach back in 2016 that I believe ended up being a best of show car. Quite a special car. So your story is quite fascinating to me because to be so brave, and I'm going to call you that because they have three children you're responsible for, a single mom, and just change your whole direction in life and focus on this my goodness you one brave lady for doing that but obviously cars were your passion and the fact that you teamed up and and were able to help fred and build your brand that way i mean do you ever look back on that and go how on earth did i do that or that's just your dna well First of all, i've lived my life with my blinders on i like to say always going forward never looking back and um and so I move from one destination to another, but I don't dwell on what I did in the past. If I did, and um, I think that I would never have, not at this age, of course, have the guts to do it. So I was probably in my 50s and my kids were in their, they were teens. <laughs> they never had a cell phone. <laughs> they barely, you know, they didn't have Christmases, but my kids sat, they, they stood behind me the whole way. They saw what I was doing and they were just, there were no problems with them raising them. They were very independent. Today, they're many, you know, they're just, they're on their own They're So there were a lot of lessons for them. And, and, um, and you know, I, I think that was very helpful that they weren't your typical teenagers that screamed and cried because they didn't get Christmas presents or because they didn't have a cell phone. None of us did. Um, I was working from a landline. So, you know, we had our water cut off. We had <laughs> the electricity, but I couldn't stop because if I were to stop, 
and go get a job somewhere. My family kept telling me, go get a job. It was a job. I have a master's in selling and I have a master's in cars and history, um, which I never would have been able to get before. But the key was I own my own home. If I didn't own my own home, I would not have been able to take the chances that I did. Just tremendous. So so this business of uh, looking for cars for people as it grew and expanded, obviously your network grew and expanded. And nowadays, if we moved into the current, describe what your typical, if you have a typical day, week or month uh, because of what you do, but what is it you do today when somebody says in an elevator ride, the 15 second elevator ride, what do you do for a living? I tell them that I buy and sell cars for collectors. I think that's the easiest way. And that's funny you should say that because it does go through your head, you know, how, because it's not something that everyone does. And I do not always like the question, <laughs> well, how did you get involved in that? Because then I have to go back to what, right. 2007. And, yeah. um, but overall, I think that um, buying, selling, buying and selling cars for collectors is pretty much it in the nutshell. That's what I do. I build collections for clients. I really enjoy searching for cars. Speaking of which, right now, I'm looking for a 275 GTB short nose, not matching numbers. <laughs> but but so I search for cars as well. So a client, I, I would have a client that came to me, uh, and he's a repeat client for this Ferrari. I'm looking for him as well. But he came to me with a, he wanted a Lotus 15, and there are 26 Lotus 15s in existence. So, you know, I start to build a database, and I learn all the names of the people that own them and where they show. And you contact these people to ask if they want to sell and whatnot. But I have another client in the U.S. who I was selling several of his cars for him, and he happened to own a Lotus 15. And my client loved that car. It was actually the car he fell in love with when he was, you know, younger, and um, and he's not that old now in his 30s, but but he had seen that car and it was a car he fell in love with. So when I came back to him and I said, hey, my client has this car. He was over the moon, but my client did not want to sell that car. So we wait a year or so and then I would come back to him and I'd say, hey, we're still interested um, if you want to sell. Then my client comes back to me that owns the car and he is constantly fishing in Cuba and he's out here and he's doing this. And I say to him, listen, you've got seven race cars, the rest of your collection. And you're not racing this. So in order to get the car to my client in Belgium, I said, I gave him the, I gave him the background of the client that wanted to buy it to, to my buyer. And I told him all about my client, Jacob, and said, Jacob races here. He does this. This is what he's going to be doing with your car. And, you know, I pulled out all the stops, but introduced him to the next guy that's going to be the, you know, the caretaker of his car. And, uh, and that's what it took. And then the next week, the next week we were writing a bill of sale. And so you know, he got that car. But um, and I think that's what it takes sometimes. You need to know, you know, I know that there are auction houses out there and, la, 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 and all the things that happen. But to me, it's that personal connection. You know, I sell cars that sometimes it's the last time that guy's going to see that car leave, you know, and it's going to get on a trailer and it's going to go away. And it's the last time he's going to say goodbye. So that's um, that's something you have to take into account when you're selling a car. It makes a, a lot of difference for uh, someone to know who owns their car next and send them pictures of the restoration and send them pictures of the car racing and keep that, that going. Because just because you've sold your last car and you're in your 80s, it doesn't mean that you want to be cut out of the car world completely. You want to still be included in it as you always have been. I understand. Been there, done that. So let's look at your impression of the collector car market today because COVID certainly 
I saw it expand the collector home market. I just came back from Pebble Beach. Sales were up and down a little bit, but still super strong uh, for what's going on. What's your impression of specifically the race car? Because it's even tighter niche race car collector car market today. Actually, it's the historic competition race cars. The cars that are that are good cars. And when I say good cars, we're talking about, you know, history, known history, known ownership, highly original, although, you know, stop asking me is the engine original in this race car yeah, because it doesn't it's exist. A race car. <laughs> right. But um but you know, I'd have to say that's the that is the market that will continue to grow and it will grow and it will be strong because it's for instance I have a client right now we're building a, a collection for him and he had post cars and his post cars were Maserati Mercedes Benz and when I say post you know post war Maserati Mercedes Benz and Bugatti and then he had a Bentley in there as well and he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do with the pre-war section of that and I jumped right in how easy is that right because you've got Bugatti Bugatti, Mercedes-Benz, and you know um, the race cars of the of the that are still in production today, basically, is what we've done. So the theme of the car now, or the theme of the collection now, cars that were produced pre-war that are still in production today. So now he's got, you know, we put the. I have an Oscar 750S that's going to fit oh. the bill for Maserati. That have a, and it's a Sebring Le Mans car. That would fit the bill for, um, you know, the Maserati. And then you've got Mercedes-Benz and you've got Bugatti and, and Alfa Romeo. So uh, those were the cars that were, you know, racing well before the U.S. was uh, in the scene. And even before England was in the scene. And by the way, I'm a huge English um, car, you know, fan, but um, early car fan, but well before they were even there. So these cars were the ones that were in, instrumental in brakes and, you know, um, and just the, everything that we do, even to this day, were developed that early on. And so now he's got those cars. And then the postcards too. So the cars that were in production then and that are now. And as you know, in the U.S., we don't. We've got what three companies that you know produce cars, other than I guess Tesla there. That, but nothing that's followed through. You know, we still don't drive Packards. We don't drive right. you know, Fords every day. We don't drive uh, Duesenbergs every day. That, although Duesenberg did try, <laughs> yep. but, but yeah. we're not there. So, yeah. so that's where we are. What? Do you find is your biggest challenge when you're hunting down a car for somebody? Well, there's a there's a thought that someone comes to me and says, and by the way, I love that. I love to search because I'm I grew up on the Hardy Boys and uh, you know um, <laughs> just the mystery stories and everything. So I love a good mystery. I love just you know to the the research and the the finding the car, and not to get off point, which I might be right now, but. I was listening to one of your um, one of your podcasts with a gentleman, and he had said, "Oh, you know, I sold my Maserati Mirac to Japan uh, like seven years ago, and that's the one car I wish I had back." Which was one of your questions. That's one car, and I thought, "Oh, what the heck? I'm going to see if I can find that car." <laughs> and I found <laughs> you found and it. I found it within two days. I did within wow. two days. I found the car, and I contacted him, and I told him that I had found the car, but he didn't want to. Be- 
He didn't really, really want, it want it back. And yeah, it was- I didn't do it for the sale. I didn't do it for the sale. I did it for the challenge. So I have almost a hundred percent ability to find a car for somebody because I just dive in. Plus all the connections that we've got from all these years of whatever. So um, you know, I found the the AC Fura that was that was missing for the longest time, and the guys from the club came back to me and said, "Hey, can you help us find this AC Fura? Um, it's the only one." And uh, and I found that the 427. I found that car for them. Yeah, I just really love to search and find cars for people because they're out there and there are leads and it's 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 a nice it's a nice side trip. But um you're a sleuth, a detective, if you will. Uh-huh. I will be yeah. do that. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Is that you know, I ask guests about a special vehicle in their life. And if you'd like, I, I want to maybe twist this up with you a little bit. The most special vehicle you've ever found for a buyer. Actually, it wasn't for, well, it was for a buyer. So I, when I first started out, I'm on all of the forums, by the way. I'm on everything. I mean, I honestly don't have any life other than just cars, which is perfectly hey, wonderful. Hey, that is me. a life. That is a life. <laughs> I, get up, I get up in the morning, I start reading it. I, I might check my emails at night and start reading on a, on a car that's somewhere or whatever the case may be. But um, when I first started out, I was in, very, very active on the Antique Automobile Club of America site, which I love it. I love the, I hate to say it, the old guys that are on there exchanging the information and, <laughs> yeah. you know, the stories that we get and the things that they'll throw out there, like what was your favorite um, service station from Detroit in the 1950s, that kind of thing. So, so I would advertise my cars. I had this, I had Jay Leno's hairdresser, as a matter of fact. It was a referral. He was an old cranky guy that lived up in New York and he had a just barns full of cars just smashed into, you know, but in through his life, after he was a hairdresser in Hollywood, he became a dealer. And, um, and every time he would sell a car, he would buy a car for himself and he would stuff it away into this garage, um, into these barns. I was asked to sell the collection and I advertised obviously a lot of these cars on Antique Automobile Club of America. And I would always put in the um, the serial number of the cars in the description. And one day I get this email from a gentleman and he says, you're advertising a car that was once owned by my mom. Wow. And I wonder if I could talk to you about that. So long story short, this woman bought this Mustang. It was a uh, just a little pony, right? The Mustang. She had named it Mimi, and it was her pride and joy. And her husband was sent to Vietnam, and she had two small boys. And the husband's father, her father-in-law, told her she had to sell the car to make ends meet. And she never really wanted to sell the car, but she did. And then the husband did come back from Vietnam. And he bought her everything. He bought her a Charger. He bought her a Challenger. He bought her He bought her just everything. And all she wanted was her Mimi back. And that's all she wanted. So every year after the father died, the son became, you know, 17, 18, whatnot. And we had the invention of the Internet. Thank God that's changed everything. Every Father's Day, which was also the, the father's birthday, the mom would ask her son, just check one more time. Just see if there's anything out there. Can you find my car? So he would Google the serial number of the car. And that one, she said to him that Father's Day, it's the last time, I promise you, it's the last time I'll ever ask. Just one more time. And uh, and he did. And it popped up on the Antique Automobile Club of America site, you know. <laughs> so unbeknownst to her, 
And the even so, the seller didn't want to make any amends or anything. You remember the car. You remember buying it even. But he didn't want to give her a break in price or anything. But oh, I geez. worked it to such a, I worked it to such a way that we we did get the car. And um and he came and he picked up the car with his two sons, wow. her grandsons. And they presented the car to her. And then he sends me pictures and we've got it on the, you know, it was just and there's Mimi. And I've got a picture of her. She's in her 80s and she's waving, you know, from her little green pony. And he emailed me recently. She passed away. But the car will always, always be in their family. Yeah. That's, you know. What a heartwarming story. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm a bit of a car psychologist, Kelly. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, okay? If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle not what you want to be though this is how you perceive yourself as some kind of vehicle what would you be but more importantly why this is a very easy question for me to answer good <laughs> i would be an oscar 750s okay the reason i would be an oscar 750s is because well they are endurance vehicles and um and they've raced against Ferraris and they've been put on the track against the biggest, biggest machines in the world, a Le Mans, Sebring, and they just keep chugging along and they place. They do wonderfully and they don't do it because they're fast and they're, you know, blowing up the racetrack. They do it because they're slow and steady wins the race. And I do believe that slow and steady wins the race overall. And also... I'd rather drive a slow car fast. fast than a fast car. Fast. Yeah, I got you. I've seen some of those around. And again, going back since I just came off the lawn at Pebble Beach for another uh, wonderful Pebble Beach Concord Elegance, I remember seeing one of those uh, win a trophy on the lawn. And I, I, I just can't remember now after so many years, um, that car rolling over. It was beautiful red. I think it had the number 63 on it, if my brain's still working right. Uh, I, I think that would be the Rodriguez brother car, brother's car. That, <laughs> I knew you'd know it. Yeah, absolutely. They are just beautiful little, little cars. I mean, I, I got it. And I love your relationship to you and why that fits you so well. Is there a great book? And I assume you're somebody that does so much research, but is there a great book you might want to share with our listeners today? There is actually Fast Women. It's called, well, it's Fast Women, the Legendary Ladies of Racing, which was Todd, let me think of, hold on a second, Todd McCarthy wrote the book. So the book details, obviously, the women in the 50s, and it was a really bohemian and wonderful time. And that's really, if there was a time I wish that I was alive and active. I would have loved to have been 23 or 24 in, you know, <laughs> say 55 yeah. um, and, and, and be there for all of these things. But these women, um, you take Evelyn Mole. Evelyn used to, they raised horses in Philadelphia and, um, and her husband, John, and they would go off, um, drive their AC bristles. They would put the AC bristles inside the trailers for the, the horses, you know, the horse trailers and drive them off for the weekend. So your weekend, you know, you work all day and your weekend was racing wherever it happened to be. And there was this beauty where if a car was not being driven by someone, well, just jump in it. Yeah, you can drive my car. Go ahead. You want to drive my Ferrari? Have had it. You know, you want to drive whatever? Have at it. And there was that kind of camaraderie with the drivers and the, and the women were very, very welcome. So there were a lot of women that made a lot of a big splash in, in the, this period for racing. And um, I don't think it's ever been repeated since then. So, but this book 
details that. Yeah, probably not. You know, what comes to mind is the late, great Denise McCluggage, who I was so fortunate to have as a guest on my show long ago, uh, before we, a couple months before we lost her, and quite an amazing woman. But there were so many that a lot of people don't realize how many women were racing back in really? the day. And uh, and of course, Lynn St. James, who today is continues to be a champion for women in motorsports. And she's been on the show, I think, three times, maybe even four. Lynn is great. I, I really like her. And I have actually read her book as well. Um, and there is a, you know, a section of her book where her car is just not going to make it the next day. And, you know, the, the guys are working all night long and everyone's working all night long. And she goes in, she gets a fitting for the seat, which is an uncomfortable thing to go through. Um, she was just amazing. She was amazing and still is amazing. You're still amazing, Lynn, but just an amazing woman. And I, I did meet her. I was very, very happy to meet her. I'm, I have to say I was fawning over her kind of like, you know, <laughs> so, so I'd like to repeat that moment. She, well, she's quite special. I got to say hi to her on the lawn. She was one of the judges on the lawn at Pebble Beach a few weeks ago, which is pretty, pretty cool. And uh, yeah, she's still so active. So uh, great to have her as well. So I'm going to mm. enable you because you enable others to have the cars of their dreams or sell the cars that they're ready to pass on to the next caregivers. In this case, I'm going to provide you with something special. I'm going to give you any car in the world. You can take it for a drive anywhere. And here's the fun part, because you deal with so many interesting people. You can take anybody with you, including somebody who's no longer with us, which opens up a world of opportunity. What does the ultimate drive look like for Kelly Dietrich? I would go with Helene Neath and the Indy 500, um, whatever they happened to let us drive at the time. But uh, Helene Neath was the Bugatti queen, and uh, she was a dancer in France. And after dancing and injuring herself, she became a race car driver. And she was an incredibly successful race car driver. I think she has like 27 Grand Prix to her name. And she, you know, she was just an amazing, amazing person. I would like to, to take Helene and drive through France. I do the driving. She sits next to me and um, and go through her life and, and talk to her. You know, she she was accused by a very well-known driver and Louis Chiron, as a matter of fact, in World War II. Um, she was accused of being a Nazi and uh, being a, a sympathizer, sympathizer. And uh, and she she lost everything because of that and ended up in, in poverty. But I would like to be with Helene Nice in a Bugatti T-35 because we have similar backgrounds. We came from pretty much nothing. Um, we are both dancers, but she's much better than I would ever <laughs> hope to be. And um, and she was an amazing woman who cut a path in an all-all-male world, and not just with the Bugattis and, and Alfa Romeos and whatnot that she was asked to drive. Men really, they respected her as a driver. So she got these cars to drive, but she also came to the U.S. to drive in the Indy. So that to me is just amazing. You know, they were the, the Europe was trying to make an impact in America, and that was their their idea. Let's go to Indy, race there. Well, uh, I'm going to add her book uh, Bugatti Queen to your book uh, list because there's a great book there about her in that respect as well. So, uh, yeah, glad you mentioned her. Her name has come up from time to time here uh, on the show, and quite an interesting history for sure. You know, her car still exists, her Bugatti. When I came to the museum one day and I was so thrilled about reading the book and I told Dr. Simeone about it, he said, oh yeah, Oscar Davis has that car in his collection. It's just down the road in Jersey. So oh my gosh. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's in Oscar's collection anymore. 
I think he sold the car, but it does still exist. His her Bugatti T thirty five. It still exists, which is is an amazing thing. Yeah, you know? very cool, very cool. Well, I knew this would be fun, and you've taken us on a wonderful ride through your life. I mean, my goodness, the things you're doing, the people you get to meet, the cars you get to be around. What a life you're living, Kelly. Before I let you go today, could you share maybe some parting words of inspiration, advice, or a mantra of some kind? Yes. Uh, failure is not an option. <laughs> I thought I came up with that uh, saying myself, because, you know, when you've got three kids and you've got to make some kind of money somewhere and you're working through Christmas and you're working through everything. And, and I said to myself, and it kind of kept me going, failure is not an option. Then I realized later on, I think that's what the Marines use. <laughs> I think that's their, their, <laughs> that is their inspiration. So I guess I stole it. But I, I think that's it, you know, when you really love something. But at the same time, I think if you love something and you, you do everything you can to get to that point, even though you're not quite certain where you're going or, you know, what the outcome will be, if you keep failing, then you're not going to make it. If you fail and you find some progress from the last time, you know, you, you fail at something, but you've learned a lesson um, and you've learned something about it and you apply that. Then the next time you fail, it's not as catastrophic because you've got a base now. But if you continuously fail on and fall on your face, perhaps that's not the thing you should be doing. <laughs> Maybe it is time, as your family says, to go get a job. <laughs> well, you are an amazing person. And I can't tell you how appreciative I am for you to take some time with me today. I've noticed on some of our correspondents, you have a couple great salutations. One is cars always. And the other is motor on, my friend. Uh, I love it. So uh, what you're doing is exceptional, as you are an exceptional car broker. How can people reach out and stay in touch with you? Well, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I've just joined a company to do their international sales and build them on an international level. And that's the store competition services in Belgium. They're an outstanding engine building and um, just a, a very great reputation. And historians like uh, I am, they love the history of these things, take it very seriously. So you can get in touch with me through historic competition services in Belgium, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. I will put those links on Kelly's show notes page so you can reach out to her. Uh, boy, if you're looking for a car, you want to sell a car in the competition world, I think you all know by now after this talk with Kelly, she is your woman because she'll make it happen. Absolutely wonderful, Kelly. I want to thank you for reaching out to me, for spending some time with me and sharing this incredible life you've created for yourself. My hat's off to you. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you probably somewhere in the world. It was nice to meet you, Mark. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. This was great fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.